Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, December 24th, day 79 to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our legal reporter Jeremy Sharon and Arab affairs reporter Luca Pacchiani. Hello to you both. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Amanda. Jeremy is here with the IDF's freezing of the controversial The Hilltop Youth Unit. For weeks, we've been hearing a pushback from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over involvement of the Palestinian Authority in Gaza the day after the war. Netanyahu, of course, claims that the PA and Hamas are in essence the same thing and have the same goals. So Luca will weigh in here, and Jeremy will also discuss what a senior Israeli official said on the matter late last week. All this and more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. The Israel Defense Forces announced the names of eight additional soldiers killed in fighting on Saturday, bringing the number of troops killed over the weekend to 13. The deaths bring the number of troops killed since the start of the ground operation in October to 152. Jeremy, the Israel Defense Forces recently halted the operational activities of a controversial unit that has been implicated in multiple incidents of abuse against Palestinian civilians in the West Bank. These allegations of abuse perhaps come as no surprise because the unit called Sfar Hamidbar, or Desert Frontier in English, was known for recruiting so-called hilltop youth. So first of all, tell us what these hilltop youth are. Are, and then we'll talk about the alleged abuses. Okay, so the term hilltop youth is, is kind of a catch-all for young, radical, extremely ideological uh, and religious uh, settlers who are basically known for going out to hilltops in the you know hilly terrain of the West Bank and establishing outposts, uh, unlawful, uh, unapproved uh, settlement outposts, where they put up a rudimentary form of dwelling. Sometimes it can be uh, like these kind of prefabricated houses. Sometimes it can be little more than a hut. But they're there and they they go there to establish a presence of of Israeli settlers. And these outposts take different forms. Sometimes they are just simple dwellings. Sometimes they're called uh, herding or farming outposts. And that's especially important because when when you take your when you have a, a flock of sheep and you take you take your sheep out to the terrain, then you're kind of establishing a greater presence over a greater amount of terrain. And when you do that, especially uh, with the farming and herding outposts, they cut, there's more friction with the local Palestinians because they're coming into contact with the, the Palestinian herders, Palestinian farmers. 
and we often hear of reports about violent incidents involving these uh, these hilltop youth. Uh, often the Shin Bet are aware of them and tracking them, uh, and some of these people end up in administrative detention as well. We've seen a few of those incidents over the past few week over the past few weeks and months since October seventh. So you know that's that's what these uh, that's what these hilltop youth are a very ideologically driven uh, group of young settler activists who want to you know make sure that um, Israel controls as much of the West Bank as, as possible. So one of the ways that the government is trying to more mainstream these people is to have them uh, conscript into the army. And this special unit it has had many different incarnations, but the one uh, currently is called Sfar Midbar. But what are the allegations against these particular soldiers right now? Right. Let me just mention that, as I said, these these, these kids often have a slightly troubled legal history. They're pretty unruly. They can act pretty wildly and violently. So there seems to have been an effort here by, first of all, by the settler leadership and the army together to kind of put them onto the straight and narrow and put them into some kind of framework. And they thought they'd use their skills because as a lot of these, a lot of these kids are, you know, kind of involved in, in shepherding, they know the terrain and topography of the West Bank, especially where a lot of these outposts are established, which is the Jordan Valley uh, and also the South Hebron Hills in the Southern West Bank. So they they use their knowledge of the terrain and they put them into a unit, this Sfar Hamidbar, which is which was designed to kind of tackle Bedouin smuggling operations, whether talking about uh, weapon smuggling or drug smuggling. So that was the idea. Um, unfortunately, perhaps not tight enough rain was put on them, and in in the in the years since they they were established. I think back in 2020, uh, there's been numerous reports of harassment, attacking attacking local uh, uh, rural community, Palestinian communities in the region, and 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 just generally part of this effort of the radical settlers, especially in those wild regions, like I said, with the Jordan Valley and the South Hebron Hills, to essentially get rid of the the rural Palestinian population there, um, which is basically area C of the West Bank, where Israel has full security and uh, and civilian control. And, and trying to kind of drive them back into areas A and B, the, the smaller um, islands of territory controlled by the Palestinian Authority, so that, as I said, it, it, they, they're part of the effort to have Israel and Israelis control as much of, of the West Bank as possible. So there was one particular incident um, ju- a, a few days after the October 7th atrocities in a small village west of Jericho. Their base is just, is just north of Jericho, and this incident took place in Wadi al-Sikh, west of Jericho. And there was allegations that they they kidnapped um, these Palestinian uh, farmers from from this village. Uh, they abused them. They beat them. They they um, really disturbing stuff. They they put out cigarettes on them. They urinated on them. Really really uh, unpleasant allegations. And uh, I you know this caused this this led to an investigation in within the IDF. We haven't heard about the actual details of that investigation. I don't think we will do. But this was this came again on the backdrop of previous incidents before October seventh in other villages, especially in the uh, two villages in the Jordan Valley in particular. And uh, the, the beginning of December, we started hearing about uh, reports that the army was looking into you know the activities of this of this unit and what to what what could be done with it. And um, last week, we uh, it, it, we found out that the the unit has stopped its operational activities, and that's going and that kind of suspension activities activities will continue for the near future until decisions can be made so a highly problematic unit as one as one activist uh, uh, kind of a, an anti-settlements activist put it to me these are radical hilltop youth their agenda before they their agenda as civilians was to harass palestinians and to take as much territory within the west bank as possible um and 
that agenda seems to have carried over into their their time in in, in the IDF. So it's you know the same the same uh, the same mindset just in in different um, in a different format. I would say that the fact that the IDF is freezing this unit very clearly shows that it does not sanction the activities of of these uh, hilltop youth and what went down there. And so I would understand that this is far from what the IDF is desiring to happen with this unit. Let's go to a short break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's allegations, at least that the Palestinian Authority and Hamas are essentially the same. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has drawn criticism from the international stage for his equivalency of Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. So, Luca, you spoke with several experts in the Middle East to see whether this was correct or whether it has any legs, at least. And as expected, you heard different things from different people. So, first of all, who did you speak with? I spoke with a Palestinian journalist called Mohammed Darahme. I spoke with two Israeli experts, uh, more on the left uh, side of the political spectrum. One is uh, Ksenia Svetlova, who also writes for uh, Zman Israel, our um, Hebrew language um, sister uh, news website. And um, Gershon Baskin, a lifelong uh, peace activist. Um, and I also spoke with uh, Yossi Kuperwasser, who is a security expert, more on the, on, um, the right Basically, uh, the Palestinian journalist and the first two experts said that uh, um, the PA and Hamas are like day and light. Uh, they have a completely different history. They have different agendas, um, different ideologies. Um, uh, Hamas was born as a religious uh, movement, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, bent on destroying Israel, uh, has no space for compromise. The only thing it wants is to liberate Muslim lands from uh, the Zionist occupier. Uh, whereas Fatah, which was born also as uh, um, a militant uh, faction bent on, on eliminating Israel, over the time has become more moderate and has signed um, agreements with Israel. And since the late 80s and 90s, it's actually recognized um, Israel. Um, not as a Jewish state, but it has recognized it. And it's willing to cooperate with Israel. And there's evidence of the fact that they're um, um, no longer um, <clears throat> participating in armed struggle against Israel, but rather they've even dismantled uh, part of their armed wings. Uh, they're um, doing security cooperation with Israel. Um, they've allowed Israel to arrest over a thousand Hamas militants since the war started in the West Bank. Yossi Kuperwasser, the security expert, has uh, more disillusioned when it comes to the PA and said that uh, they're just basically trying to fool Israel. But what they really want is uh, to uh, also eliminate uh, Israel, but more gradually. Uh, their ideology is not religious, it's nationalistic, but they realize that they don't have the power now to confront Israel directly, so they're just uh, basically signing agreements with us uh, until one day they will be powerful enough to, to destroy us. 
One of the most interesting parts of your piece, which is yet to be published, but I've read it several times so far, is the idea of the pay to slay. So, of course, to uh, international ears, the idea of paying somebody who or his family after attempting or committing a suicide attack or some kind of terrorist attack sounds just terrible. But what you discovered through the more left-leaning experts is that it's really difficult to stop this train once it's left the station, because this is something that began before the Oslo Accords. So what are they saying here? So yeah, even the left-leaning commentators and the Palestinian journalists admitted that it's a problematic policy. Um, They say it's a relic from the past, basically. Um, Even um, uh, Saddam Hussein and uh, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi used to make payments to the families, the families of terrorists, uh, and it's something that is deeply ingrained in Palestinian political culture, um, because Palestinian prisoners are basically seen as the combatants of uh, Palestinian society in the lack of an army. And they said it is something that it could have been brought up during the um, Oslo talks in the 90s, and Israel could have demanded to um, stop these payments, but it wasn't done. And there was all sorts of uh, temporary uh, agreements that were made in the Oslo Accords, uh, things that were supposed to be solved later on and never did because uh, they never led to the creation of a, of a Palestinian state. So this is one of those temporary things that remained from the 90s and no one's really ever abolished. There are a lot of people who say that Fatah or the Palestinian Authority is basically a wolf in sheep's clothing and that they are essentially the same they have the same ethos. And I think Yossi Kufa-Ravasser was basically drilling down into this idea. What else did he say? So yeah, when it comes to pay to slay, to this policy, for instance, he said that uh, basically uh, Fatah has never stopped supporting terrorism, and that's the, the clearest evidence of it. These payments are made not just to Fatah uh, terrorists, but also to Hamas terrorists uh, by the PA. So it says that they've never really given up on the uh, idea of an armed struggle. Here in Israel, we see, of course, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the PA, as the leader of the PA, and and that he is setting the tone. But one thing that Ksenia Svetlova said, I thought was very interesting, is that in the West Bank itself, they view him as a collaborator with Israel, as some kind of traitor, or some some part of the population does. Talk a little bit more about that. Yes, so uh, Mahmoud Abbas is deeply unpopular in the West Bank. Uh, Really, I've, I've Except for the closest um, um, circle of people that work with him, I've, I don't think I've ever met a Palestinian who really supports and says, yes, he's our leader. And one of the most problematic things is that uh, he has carried on this security collaboration with Israel, basically allowing Israeli forces to arrest uh, Palestinian suspects or even carrying out the arrest directly. He's also very corrupt. He has not held elections since uh, 2005. He's not allowing any uh, uh, renewal of the political leadership. Basically, you always see the same figureheads for you know, years. But yeah, the fact that he is not standing up to Israel and not doing anything to stop the expansion of settlements, for instance, uh, is seen by many Palestinians as a sign that is really a collaborator with Israel. So after speaking with all these experts from different sides, what is your diagnosis? Are Hamas and Fatah the same? I don't think they are the same. I think they both uh, feed on a Palestinian narrative that have, has existed since, you know, basically the creation of the state of Israel. But I, I think that the, the PA has 
really changed a lot and done a lot of progress, uh, especially since um, Oslo. And I also don't think we have an alternative. Like, we're not going to bring an international force to rule over Gaza. We have to let the Palestinians rule themselves. I personally think it's too early now to have elections uh, because uh, Hamas is very popular and because there's, uh, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of upheavals in the West Bank uh, because of the war. So I think there should probably be um, international agreement who was going to temporarily rule the Palestinians uh, for a few years. But then definitely they should be able to choose their own leadership uh, down the road. Okay, thanks, Luca. So Jeremy, last week, late last week, National Security Advisor Tzachi Negbi wrote an op-ed in an Arabic language newspaper, and his remarks were taken to mean that the government may allow some kind of reformed Palestinian authority a role in governing Gaza after the war. But then about three, four hours later, a senior Israeli official really walked back these comments. So what did that senior Israeli official say? Yeah, so this issue of uh, governing Gaza after the war has become very political in Israel. Um and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been saying, you know, that no way will the Palestinian Authority rule in Gaza afterwards. Um, this is something which uh, his um, far-right political partners, um, Patala Smotrich from the Religious Zionism Party and Itamar Ben-Gvir from Otmar Yudit, have also been insisting on. So, as I said, uh, this whole issue has now become pretty pol- uh, political. So, uh, Tahir Negbi wrote uh, that op-ed saying that some kind of reformed Palestinian Authority could take control in Gaza. Um, and then soon afterwards, a few hours later during the day, a senior uh, uh, Israeli official uh, speaking on background said that that was that those comments had been misunderstood by Tahir Negri, the national security advisor, and that in fact Israel will not in any way tolerate uh, the Palestinian Authority in uh, uh, ruling in Gaza after the war. Um, he that this official said that, that Israel has three goals for the for the for Gaza, um, that it be demilitarized, de-radicalized, and, and a functioning civil administration be established. And he said the PA can't and won't confront terrorists even in the West Bank. He pointed uh, he pointed to Jenin um, in the West Bank, uh, the Palestinian city in the West Bank, which is a particularly uh, problematic example, which has become a hotbed of terrorism, and where, in fact, the Palestinian Authority and its security services have actually not been able to establish order or been willing to um, confront the, uh, the 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 terrorist organizations in that city. So this this official said uh, that if it can't do it in Jenin, then then the Palestinian Authority for sure won't be able to establish that kind of security control in Gaza. So what did he say instead? He said Israel wants moderate Arab nations such as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to be involved in the effort to de-radicalize Gaza. And that, and, and that Israel wants civilian life in Gaza to be run by a local administration of Palestinians with the help of modern Arab countries. As, as Lucas said, uh, it's not clear how, how, how feasible or viable that idea is to have foreign, uh, foreign intervention in, uh, in Gaza. But f- f- at, at the least, that's, that's what this uh, official was saying is, is, is the current vision of, of, of mm-hmm. It appears to me that these uh, moderate Arab countries are not interested in taking up this gauntlet. Luca, what are you hearing? It's a good question. I think Egypt uh, came up with the idea actually some time ago and said that there should be an international Arab force uh, running Gaza temporarily, but then they walked back on that statement. So uh, no one really knows. And I think Israel has also not come forward with a proposal. So I think if we don't, uh, then it's going to be imposed on us. I think we should really start thinking about the future of Gaza very soon. 
I think it's just worth mentioning that um, a few days ago there was a report in Israel Hayom, uh, the right-wing Israeli daily, and it and it's reported that Netanyahu was considering allowing officials and uh, clerks from the Palestinian Authority to be involved in the civil administration of Gaza after the war, even if it wouldn't be the Palestinian Authority by name. So I think that demonstrates, you know, as Luca said earlier, how th- there is very little um, uh, options that for for governing Gaza that we don't have very good viable options for governing that territory after the war apart from the Palestinian Authority which has the experience of of governance and administration or or Hamas which obviously Israel doesn't want to allow there and it's also worth noting that as soon as that report came out Smotrich again he's he kind of slapped that down immediately saying we will not tolerate that in any way whatsoever we do not agree to the Palestinian Authority under any guise being involved in Gaza and even more interestingly uh, Netanyahu immediately takes to X and posts, you know, kind of saying a denial of that report, almost saying we will not allow Hamastan to become Fatahstan. So again, you can see the interplay here of the the conundrum of governing Gaza with this political problem um, for Israel uh, in in terms of of how the that territory will be administered going forward. So one of the experts I spoke with, uh, Xenia, uh, pointed out that uh, we shouldn't repeat the mistake that was made in uh, Iraq when the U.S. Uh, toppled Saddam Hussein and they just purged the whole bureaucracy of anyone that had been involved and ever uh, received a salary from the uh, Saddam Hussein regime. Because that in, in, in Gaza, it would mean basically firing all the um, health workers, the doctors, the teachers, anyone that has ever in, uh, done anything in the administration, then we'll be who find ourselves with uh, basically no one who's able to run Gaza. So obviously we shouldn't allow the people that were involved in armed struggle, uh, the Hamas fighters, to um, have any role in running post-war Gaza. But definitely people that were in the Hamas bureaucracy, you know, they should still uh, play a role in one way or another. All right. A lot of food for thought here. Thank you, Luca and Jeremy, for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another episode tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have a question or comment about this or any other episode, please drop us a line to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.